0: Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Lones. A blazing fire under the body of the nitro-powered Toyota Camry of Alexis DeGioia, and this is as bad a fire as you're ever going to see. On this episode, we're talking New England Nationals and season results with Tony Pedregon. Erica Anders is your 2020 Pro Stock World Champion in stunning fashion. Get up to speed on who's hot and who's not. Scotty's out on Andrew at a thousand feet. It's Scotty Bolejack for the first time in his career. This is the NHRA Insider. Tony Schumacher. Wow, what an appropriate way to end this one. Twenty-eight 10 thousands to the strike. an instant classic. Final. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It is a race week show as we are going to Epic New Hampshire to New England Dragway, thetaskaparts.com. NHRA New England Nationals presented by Bandero Premium Tequila pretty cool to have a regional style event up here meaning the entire New England region paying attention not just a single city or state and it is sponsored by two New England based people the Tasca family of course of Rhode Island and a lot of people uh, overlook the fact that Alexis deroria is a Rhode Island native Bandero premium tequila a company that is on the side of her race car along with rocket phones of course but it's just uh, pretty great that two people with roots in this region uh, to Two racers with roots in this region have stepped up and uh, brought along with them the sponsorship for this particular event at one of the most unique racetracks on the entire tour. This show is a little bit different formatically than we are typically used to here in the Insider Podcast. Rather than having two guests this week, I simply have Tony Pedregon on and really doing a little bit of a catch-up in terms of uh, what the situation looks like for notable racers after five events this season. Um, well, we don't know specifically how many events we'll have, uh, depending on whether or not Virginia comes back into the fold or not in the fall. Um, we're looking at a season where basically a full third of it will be part of the countdown. Um, we're looking at a, a season where our our regular season isn't the normal 18 races. It'll be less than that. So when we're talking about five races into this 2021 Camping World season, uh, we have a pretty significant chunk of the, the kind of regular racing done. A little bit more than a third, if you will, um, in terms of what we're looking at for a regular season race count. Now, is it possible that Virginia gets added in the fall we have an eight-race countdown? At this point, anything is possible. But we're going to lock it down and talk about New England Dragway, and we're going to talk about the upcoming race this weekend as well. Weather conditions look incredible. If you have not gotten your tickets on NHRA.com or NewEnglandDragway.com, you're making a huge mistake this is a, an intimate setting style of racetrack. It's not a cavern or a canyon like when we go to ZMAX Dragway. We will sell this race out, uh, and we will do it uh, pretty quickly. So if you have not gotten your tickets yet and you want to come to Epping, New Hampshire, I strongly advise that you do that. One of the things that will be uh, interesting in the, the not-so-favorable way this weekend is the fact that the Canadian border is still closed, and there are just so many NHRA fans in Canada that venture down to a couple of these northern races. Unfortunately, uh, we will not be seeing those fans in Seattle. or so are not going there this year. Uh, Brainerd, Minnesota tends to tends to bring some Canadian fans out. But New England Dragway has always, literally since the place opened uh, 55 years ago, has always had a strong contingent of support from Canada, whether it be race cars that come down and race NHRA Division One, or run bracket races or just simply compete in the different categories that the track offers, or fans for events like this. The uh, match races the track has had, of course, the events like the uh, Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series, regional events have always drawn Canadian racers and fans as well. Certainly the National Event Series and the Camping World level does the same thing. We will be missing those Canadian fans, but there is such pent-up desire, such pent-up want to get back to Epping uh, as we have not raced there since 2019. We have heard great things about the crowd we should expect when racing gets going on Friday. This is a three-qualifying session race, and this is a race where the conditions, especially for the first qualifying session, which is slated to happen at about 6.30 p.m. on Friday evening, will be spectacular, like out-of-this-world, track record-threatening, not necessarily going to say national record-threatening here, but definitely track record-threatening conditions um, on a all-concrete racetrack, end-to-end concrete, that has proven itself to be uh, pretty gnarly over the years. Most of the records set at New England Dragway for the Camping World Series categories were set in 2017. Robert Height has the Funny Car track record at 82.2, the speed 336, almost 337. Don't necessarily think those are going to be challenged, but when we look at top fuel, we see a 367 as the track ET record. That could be in jeopardy on a cool night, and the speed record I I have no doubt will be shattered in top fuel, Previously standing at 331.5 miles an hour, give or take, we have seen David Grubnick and his tune-up, as well as other top fuel dragsters uh, regularly running faster than that this year in conditions that won't be near as good as what we will see on Friday night. Saturday and Sunday will also be temperate. It is not just uh, great racing weather, it is great spectating weather as well. There is no capacity restriction in Epping, New Hampshire, so it will be 100% capacity. You will have the run of the place as you typically are used to having at NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series events, meaning you know your ticket's a pit pass, you're going to be hanging out with your favorite drivers and uh, getting your photos, getting your selfies taken, and, and uh, cheering on your favorites up front, up close and personal as uh, New England Dragway presents a unique environment. If you've never been to this racetrack, uh, I certainly want you to put it on your list uh, in years to come to come to this event because it is it is just a different setting. You know, we go to the ZMAX dragways, we go to the we go to the Auto Club Raceway Pomona, we go to Bristol, we go to these these really immaculate, huge facilities that have these giant multi-story timing towers with suites, and they have all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, New England Dragway does not have that stuff. It has a, a little small tower, a tower that I spent many, many summers in over the years announcing drag races. And uh, it has the charm of a very old school racetrack. It is it is definitely not the typical NHRA national event track in terms of where it is, in terms of how it looks. But it delivers on the surface. It delivers on the parts and places and pieces of things that you need to have a successful event And it certainly delivers on the passion of the fans in this region. Matt Hagen comes in as the favorite and funny car, having won the last three NHRA New England Nationals, 17, 18, and 19. And a fun side note here about what Matt Hagen has accomplished. He is actually the second guy in the history of this racetrack to have won major funny car races or the premier funny car race at the facility three years in a row. See, back in the 1970s and into the 1980s, NHRA, or rather New England Dragway, had an an event, a self-produced event called the Fall Funny Car Nationals, which was really the track's premier event. It was an event that uh, put New England Dragway on the map for the right reasons. It was a huge 32-car funny car field that brought in the best cars in the nation because of what was being paid on the purse and, and the prestige of the event. Um, it, it brought in every big-name funny car racer you can name from the 70s and into the 80s has come at some point, if not every year, came and competed over the course of their careers at the Fall Funny Car Nationals in Epping, New Hampshire. So we know that Matt Hagan has won the last three Funny Car National events of the NHRA Camping World Series at Epping. But in 1970, 1971, and 1972, Jungle Jim Lieberman won the Fall Funny Car Nationals three times straight. And it's a pretty unique piece of company to be in. And no, I'm not equating the Fall Funny Car Nationals on the same level as the Camping World Series and modern drag racing, but if we put it in the context of the racetrack, what was once its biggest event, what is now its biggest event, what is the funny car category on both sides of this, the best cars in the nation competing, and certainly just the fact that just the fact that back then it was the same story, the best cars in the nation competing as well. So this is um, a, a neat piece of company, a neat grouping for Matt Hagen to be in. Ron Capps has two events in Funny Car at the New England Nationals, having one in 14 and 16. We know that John Force has won up here as well, and Robert Hyde is coming in with the guns blazing after an incredible race down there in Houston, Texas. On the pro stock side of things, this has been a race that really has has uh, given us our fair share of entertainment over the years. Anderson's won here. Chris McGeehay is won here, and Chris McGeehay, a guy who certainly wants to get back on the horse in terms of round wins and, and racking up some points here to, to reestablish himself. His son Mason's having a great great season, and now we talk about the fact that his dad's just trying to just trying to get his own kind of uh, his own program out of first gear, so to speak, and we're going to be fun to watch and see if he can rekindle some of that fun. Eric Andrews has won at Epping as well, so that the Pro Stock mantle has been passed around. Steve Torrance has won at Epping. That's a shocker. We go back and look at the Top Fuel winners over the course of years at the New England Nationals, and much like in Pro Stock, there has not been incredible dominance like we have seen in the Nitro Funny Car category. So basically what I'm trying to say is anybody's game, especially on a weekend where we're going to have these just beautiful weather conditions and it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Because it is a race week and because racers are making the long trek to Epping, New Hampshire, not many racers available to talk this week. And, and I respect that, that they're getting themselves prepared and ready to rock and roll. And it was also a great time to call Tony Pedragon and talk about what's happened to the point this point in the season what competitors we think are on the right track, what competitors we think, for various reasons, need to get their program in order very quickly, and who is uh, really needing to have a weekend at Epping that can right their ship. Because we go to Epping, we have a week off, and then we go to Norwalk, Ohio. Then we have a week off, and then we go basically on the Western Swing. So, um, or two weeks off, rather, between Norwalk and then the Western Swing, which it is incredible to be talking about the Western swing already, um, the fact that we have run'll run, we'll have run seven races before going on the western swing is even weirder because that's typically not the scene. But once we reach this part of the year, um, I would say you know this this particular June July time frame, it really kicks into high gear uh we we kind of get going on a schedule that of course the western swing is Denver, Sonoma, Pomona this year back to back to back then we have a weekend off then it's Topeka and Brainerd uh then a weekend off and right into the US Nationals and then it it is fairly unrelenting from that point forward so it is um it is going to be very interesting to see how teams can position themselves over Epping and Norwalk to get on the western swing we have seen seasons made we have seen seasons come unglued at that part of the year, the pressure will certainly ramp up. So now that we've gone through that, I've, I've sung the praises of New England Dragway and the Taskaparts.com New England Nationals presented by Bandero Tequila. It is time that we move ahead in the show. Welcoming in our guest on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. He's the analyst, the right-hand man, the dude that spends way too much time in a TV truck with me, Tony Pedragon. How you doing, man? Hey, good morning, Brian. How's things out there in Indiana, man? I can tell you right now, midweek here in the New England region, it is a furnace. But thankfully, it's going to cool off for the weekend.
1: I, I couldn't believe it. Before I got on the phone with you, I looked at the forecast, and I know over the weekend it looks great napping, but it's eighty, eighty six degrees <laughs> in the morning. Yeah, it's, so, I mean, yeah, we're, yeah,
0: suggest- we're it's nine thirty a.m. as we make this show right now, and it's already eighty six degrees there. Yeah.
1: That's that's amazing. I almost didn't believe Koreski. He told me it was 92 degrees in Philly yesterday. And, you know, we've had some rain here in India, and I think it's moving, not necessarily up to the northeast, but it's moving to the east coast. But um, I guess the best news is the weather is going to play right into the hands of what crew chiefs like to race in, and that is pretty mild temperature and, and overall conditions
0: yeah the first qualifying session for the nitro cars is scheduled for six fifteen on friday evening and the uh, peak temperature of the day is somewhere in the mid 60s so by the time we get to six fifteen, it should be uh probably you know right around 60 degrees the racetrack should be nice and warm so friday night should be uh should be pretty spectacular um let's talk a little bit about uh this race coming up before we get into uh, another topic of some racers that some are running well some need to get their get their stuff going here but um you know, this is an interesting race. It's uh, it's kind of out on an island unto itself, especially this year without Virginia and, and of course, having no English town to go to. Uh, we got to come around and say it, the car counts here are going to be light. Uh, Norwalk is looking like it's going to be strong, but this race is, uh, you know, a tough one to get to for many teams.
1: Yeah, I think logistics have always played a role. You know, and it's it's a lot like the Seattle on the East Coast. Yeah. You know, it's just up in the, in the northern part of the country and. You know, it's, if there's some, you know, regional cars, they're going to roll them out, but you just don't have the, the density, the volume that you have at, you know, what you, what we had uh, when we had English Town, what you see at Reading, you know, of course, Norwalk, uh, it just, it, it, you know, it costs money to get these cars there and, you know, things while they're starting to open up and, and uh, you know, make somewhat of a comeback, uh, you know, some of these teams and some of these companies are still reeling from, oh, yeah. you know, the effect. so... Uh, the good news is, you know, we're bouncing back and um, just not coming as quick as we'd like.
0: Yeah, and and the good news is, I mean, it's going to be a great show. We look at who's going to be there, and yes, it's not a bumper crop of cars, but it's all the quality cars you want that the fans certainly want to see. And and one of the things I think is interesting in a situation like this, when we don't have you know twenty cars trying to qualify like we will at Norwalk. <laughs> is there's really nowhere to hide in terms of the competition. Like, you know, anybody who qualifies well here is not necessarily going to have a pushover in the first round. And it does make things fairly interesting in terms of that.
1: Yeah. And I think the other component is, is a qualifying position is going to be at a premium. I mean, you think about it, it always is. I mean, all these teams want to run as quick and fast, but you know, they know that there's going to be a different ladder, a different format that's going to be used. So yeah. Some of these guys are going to be jockeying for that second round single. I mean, usually first round is one thing, second round competition really ramps up. So I think that's going to make uh, qualifying even more interesting, especially that that cool session on Friday.
0: Yeah, that really is going to be the, you know, throw it down hard. And and it does remove some of the uh, concern, I guess, for some of these teams. if, If you know that you're going to be able to race on Sunday, no matter if you go down the racetrack or not in any one of the qualifying sessions, I would assume that would embolden a Jimmy proc that would embolden a, uh, Dickie Venables that would embolden, a, 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 a David Grubnick to take some of this conservative nature away of the limited qualifying sessions.
1: Yeah, Brian. And I think, um, you know, we didn't race in Epping last year. There was a lot of places we didn't, you know, visit, but I think it's, I think it's more important. And this is, you know, my opinion, um, it's more important what you did a couple of weeks ago in Houston, rather than what you did a year or two years ago. at think, you know, I think some of the teams that have the momentum like Robert, like Torrance, uh, like Matt Hartford, some of the winners that are carrying some of that momentum, those are going to be the guys to look out for. You have similar elevation close to sea level and, um, you know, the overall conditions are going to be, you know, comparable. So I think, um, I don't think it's a big concern because teams didn't race there last year. They don't have the data they don't have the the good data from a year ago, at least the teams that weren't that successful. But the fact that you know they're coming from Houston, the car really doesn't know it knows what the atmospheric pressure is, and you know some of the other you know components and conditions that they plug into their into their software into their program and that's how they set the cars up that's that's i think what's most important
0: you know one uh before we get into this next topic i you know went and found the track records uh from epping and they were all set during this the 2017 race had some incredible conditions as well and pretty much every record outside of pro stock has been set um from that race so we look at the 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 top fuel records 367.3 is a track record et which is probably safe, but maybe not. But the speed, I think, is going to get destroyed. Because right now the track speed record is three thirty one sixty nine, and I don't think there's any way that survives the weekend.
1: No, I think we can see the speed record go within the first, uh, probably by halfway through the session, when we see some of the, you know, some of the good cars. Uh, you know, which we talked about the fields. A lot of them are going to be good cars. So, um, I, I agree. I've been losing my uh, backside on betting on the Lakers and the <laughs> Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> I'm going to put my money on a couple of the teams that run big speed, and uh, maybe the Brooklyn Nets. And at, you know,
0: the funny car side of things, uh, I think both of the funny car records are, are safe because obviously 17 was the you know the peak season of the layback headers. But uh, Robert has both ends of it right now at Epping at 382.2, 336.74. I mean, we just don't see those speeds anymore with the headers being stood up a little bit. And 82.2 is not uh, an area we have seen a funny car get to in a while.
1: Yeah, that really makes a big difference, um, you know, in, in initially getting the car to move. To get it to run that kind of speed, you need the assistance down the track, but you also need the car to accelerate. And that's one of the things that the laid-back headers really did. It, it allowed the car to accelerate initially, utilizing that thrust, that vectored thrust, because of the angle. Um, and And they had an additional run. You know, now they're cut down to three yeah. runs. You know, four runs, they were able to kind of, you know, set the stage with the first run and take a bit. You know, more advantage of that cooler session that they're not able to do. But, you know, some of these tuners, they think the way that they think, and you know, they're they're just pretty aggressive. So, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they approach the evening session. Are they going to try to run as good as they can? And sometimes they just, um, you know, they're they just kind of plug in what they think the car can run. Maybe what they feel. If, you know, they're going to get a read on the track, of course. But, um, it, it, you know, that's always the, um, you know, the chess match and and the different ways that these guys think and how they approach that session.
0: And just for uh, academics' sake, uh, the pro stock records are set back in 2014 still uh, on carburetors and 648.5 by Shane Gray, 214.25 the speed by Jeggy. Both of those still probably safe as uh, even in the best conditions we see, the fuel-injected cars have not quite gotten back to that, uh, and they're very close, but they haven't quite gotten back to the level of performance that they had with the carburetors. You know, Tony, you mentioned uh, you know getting down the racetrack and and kind of the approach, and I want to transition into this topic where I want to talk about Pro Stock, Top Fuel, and Nitro Funny Car, and really go over a couple racers that seem to have the tiger by the tail right now, and, and some racers that are maybe are underperforming our expectations. So, if we start in Pro Stock, uh, let's let's start with with Derek Kramer, who is very quietly the number two guy in points right now, and it's almost like he's a sneaky finalist and semifinalist at almost every race this season.
1: <laughs> well, the good news for uh, Derek Kramer, you know, and I, I, a lot of drivers uh, that have had success have have been in this similar situation. He really hasn't been hitting. His marks, I mean getting to the final at the last race was great, um, but it does seem like when they get beat, they beat themselves. you know the car shakes, the setup is off uh, he does a very good job driving in that pro stock class that's what you have to be. You have to be quick on the starting line um, but the good news for Derek is that he hasn't been winning races and he's still second in the point, so I think when he starts to win it's going to be a different story so I think it's encouraging for him and his team and You know, if you really think about where we're at in the season, it's relatively early. But uh, I think it's a good time to talk about that because, um, you know, some of the teams that that really, you know, aren't 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 having the success that they've been expecting. This is right about the time that you want to really start to focus, maybe not so much being concerned with it. But you really start to ask the questions, why have we not been getting to more final rounds and winning more races? Yeah, and,
0: and the reality of the situation is the countdown now seven races this year with the uh, the addition of Bristol towards the end of the season, and uh, who knows if, if Virginia is still kind of a question mark. If Virginia comes in, you may be looking at an eight-race countdown, which would make your regular season, what, about 13, 14 races, so... To some degree, we're coming up on the halfway point of the regular season to your point of of trying to get your act together and moving forward. A guy who seemingly did that uh, in Houston, Texas, was Matt Hartford, who um, had been just second round, first round, second round, first round, and then winning a race. So this is a guy who really kind of turned it on a dime.
1: Yeah, and Matt's one of those drivers that it, it seems like he, he just loves to mix it up on the starting line, and, and I think that's one of the reasons that we – look so forward to seeing him in the late rounds. We love to see him race Erica because, um, you know, you you almost expect for him to do something. And those subtle things that a driver can do uh, matter, you know, whether it's, um, you know, whether they don't want to stage first or they, they just want to get in there. Uh, it's just always interesting to see that kind of strategy. And Matt, for the most part, he'll give us some of that. And he always gives us a great interview. He really speaks from the cuff. And um, it's nothing canned. And I I, I, it you know, it's either a heck of a coincidence or they are really starting to see the effects of of Eddie Guinarchi, his crew chief, you know, coming back because, you know, you and I both, Brian, we go to the pits of these pro stock vices, pro stock cars. And uh while they might may not have the eight and nine member crews that the top fuel dragsters and funny car have has, um it's a lot of work. Oh yeah. You know, the turnaround. I mean, they're not tearing the motor apart, but they're changing transmissions. They're always doing stuff to the, to the, um, you know, to the rear suspension. You always see the rear wheels off. And and when in Vegas and some of those races that I stopped by the C Mat, uh, it looked like they were overworked. I mean, it looked yeah. like they were, you know, they had the. Uh, if you can read the expressions on their face, um, you could tell that they were a little short-handed. So. Um, I think I think they've just made it interesting. I mean, if you look at pro stock, Greg is still the guy to beat. Absolutely, you know? but but he doesn't. You know, it seems that what he has to compete with are these sharpshooters, and those sharpshooters are Derek Kramer, uh, Eric Anderson, and here's the youth. There's Mason McGee, there's Aaron Stanfield, and now Matt Hartford, Dallas Glenn, Kyle Koretsky. I mean, he's he's kind of you know lurking there, waiting in the wings, and um, and then you have Troy. You have Troy Coughlin Jr. and Chris McGehee, and we really expect more from them. But if you look at the top 10, I mean, that's that's a pretty formidable uh, lineup there. But but Greg Anderson's still the guy to beat, but it just seems that, you know, if he's going to get beat, you're going to have to do it on a whole shot.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned Koretsky and Coughlin Jr., and that's, and that's where I want to move to next because they're having oddly almost mirror image seasons of each other, but they're not really the mirror image either of them wants. Uh, you know, Kyle... Definitely showed positive progress in Houston, making the semifinal round. Troy uh, made the final round of the first race of the year, and and really, other than a semifinal appearance uh, in the four-wide, has has been out the first round every other race than that. So, you know, you've done this before. You've kind of lived through the slog of one of these seasons, and how do you get your head right if if you're constantly looking at first-round losses?
1: You know, Brian, the stigma for drag racers has always been you really don't do much. You know you stage the car you get it down the track but you know like anything else it may look easy but uh, there's so much technique and there's so much that has to be precise um in, in terms of what the driver does in the car and and there's no forgiveness and it's because it's because of all those little subtle things that matter um you know that that really make a difference and you know, for these drivers, I know Kyle Koreski, I know they they continually look, and Erica has has talked about this. She talks about adjusting her linkage, you know, to, to determine how the air is, how the starting line is. That may have an effect on how she adjusts the linkage, and, and so she can get the car to react uh, either a little slower, maybe a little bit quicker, and – um I know that Kyle with their car, they're looking at some things that they sh- could still improve. So it's good news for the driver anytime they can find something mechanical. And when they do, you have to go out and prove that that's what it was. So, you know, a lot of it is mental. Some of it's mechanical. Um, and I think, you know, when you look at Kyle, that's probably the, you know, the biggest reason. Troy, Troy Jr., you know, they're again, like like Derek Kramer, they're they're not second in the points or eighth, but. It, it just seems like the issues that they have are trying to find the sweet spot with that car. And, and Chris, Chris McGeehey I mean, he's running good. Uh, I was at the end of the track at the, lat, at the last race because it was Monday and we were a little shorthanded. And, and it was interesting for me to see the drivers get out of the car. I mean, yeah. I, I haven't been uh, in that environment in so long. And it really took me back home. And it's it's tough to see. It's tough to see some of these drivers that have so much talent. And Chris got out and he said, I just can't, you know, I can't beat that guy, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. um, you know, he's he's got, it seems like he's got the kind of power that he wants, but, you know, you just, for a driver, they've got to find that groove, they've got to find that rhythm, um, and, and when they find it, they've got to take advantage of it, and you look at the drivers that are at the top, You know, they're in that rhythm. And some of the guys that are on the bottom, that's where they need to be. So they've got some work to do. So let's
0: move to the funny car category. And um, I want to talk about two cars that are not running exceptionally bad, but they're certainly not running as well as we have come to expect them. We're going to start with Matt Hagan because Hagan has won the last three straight races at Epping, and I'm not sure that there's – a better time for us to be showing up to this place and right now for him, because again, the car is not any, some, some sort of embarrassment, but it is definitely not the car we have come to expect. And and he's kind of sitting there uh, six on the points right now. He's only made a single final and a semifinal this year. Uh, this should be a weekend for him to get some recovery going.
1: Brian, before the Houston race, we were talking about Robert height because a couple of first round losses and, and I actually picked him to win the race because I, I think the potential was there. And, you know, the one thing that's unique about funny car is, you know, Greg Anderson's the guy to beat in pro stock. Nobody's going to argue that Steve Torrance, he's still the top dog, the big fish in top fuel, but there's really not one. I mean, it was Tasca, you know, you win a couple of races in a row and you're leading the points, um, you know, but J.R. Todd, when he's won, he he looks unbeatable. Then, then it was forced and, yeah. and caps. Yeah. He's, he's lingering there in fourth, but he hasn't won a race. So when you talk about Matt Hagan, uh, like a Robert Height it's just a matter of when not if and what's interesting about Matt is I know earlier in the year uh, I listened to an interview from his tuner and you know one of the things that he wanted to change was maybe not being as aggressive maybe focusing more on some consistency um and I know Dickie well um but I don't buy it and and this is this is not necessarily bad <laughs> thing because You are what you are. Your instincts are what they are. And that's what makes some of these guys so lethal, you know, like Proc and and Robert in that car. And Matt Hagen's the same way. So I think ultimately, Dickie and Matt, I think their true colors are going to show. And, you know, what's interesting is, is, you know, I would say, well, who's the next big name funny car driver to win? Is it going to be Hagen or is it going to be Caps? Because I think it's going to be one of those two drivers ahead of of uh, a cruise with the snap-on team and a tim wilkerson because they're all they're all you know those, those are all talented teams and good cars that just haven't won yet
0: yeah and, and you mentioned cruise and and how interesting is you know the fact that we can look at things you know year over year and, and if if you told Cruz in in 2020 that hey man like in the first six races, you'll make uh, you know, two semis, you'll have a second-round appearance, uh, and only two first-round losses. I think he would have signed on to that immediately. But I think putting it in the context of this year, not that he's overly frustrated because he understands this is a long haul and what he's doing with that team is going to take some time, but um, I, I do feel like this car should have been in the final so far this year. You know, And it, I'm not blaming anybody on it, but it just some things haven't broken his way, but it does seem like all the pieces are in place where we should be talking about at least a single final round appearance for that thing so far.
1: Yeah. And I think the expectations were more, I mean, I think when you make that kind of investment and you make as many changes as that team has made, you you know, you just, Hey, that's, that's our competitive nature. That's um, you know, it is human nature, but um, I think that, I think that overall, uh they have some consistency and that's a good thing. They didn't yeah. even have that over the last several years. Correct. So yeah. and and when you look at their performance, they're only they're only about three or four hundredths off and they know it. So you know you gotta give um a new team a little bit of time to work through uh the the, the, diff- the subtle and I'm talking the small changes, the differences in the chassis, in the engine location. And while they tried to duplicate everything um, there's just so many adjustments that, that, um, that make up that performance on the car. So I, I think it's just a matter of time, but I, I don't, I don't quite think they're in the league of, you know, the top six cars, you know, Hagan's just lost some close races, yeah. you know, and they, they can, they flip that and, and you're, you're having a different conversation. So, uh, I think, I think there are a win waiting to happen. I think that caps is, I think that once a cruises team finds that three or four hundredths of a second. Uh, we're going to be talking about seven cars and, and really Wilkerson, we should, there's eight cars. Wilkerson should be one, but he's a little, he's a little deficient on the starting line. I mean, these guys, he really stepped their game up and then there's the dark horse. There's, there's Alexis. I mean, if you look at the performance, yeah, absolutely, that car, that car is as good as any. So, you know, there's a, there's another car that's just kind of waiting in the wings and, um, well, what better place for them to get to a final with, than uh, in this Epping race, huh?
0: Yeah, I mean, it would be perfect. Obviously, uh, we've talked a lot about it, but, you know, Tasca, the Rhode Island guy, Alexis, you know, a lot of people forget that she is actually a, a native Rhode Islander. She grew up in Rhode Island and, and still has family roots there. Her mom lives there, and I believe she has a home there as well. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, one one last point on the on Alexis' car. She has the the second quickest, or I should say third quickest average elapsed time on Sundays of anybody in the category. The car averages a 402 during eliminations, and you know it, it's, it always sounds like we're picking on people when we bring this stuff up, but it's just simply kind of data analysis here. The one thing that needs to change in that car or the one thing that needs to get incrementally better is to take an average 117 light and just turn it into an 80. If you take that 117 average and turn it into an 80 or even a low 90, we're talking about a car that's making final rounds.
1: Yeah, and and Alexis has been there before. Yeah. I mean, once upon a time, she had a good car that was consistent, and that really does a lot for a driver. I mean, really look at the performance of a Cruz, uh, and even a Tim, and especially Alexis. I, and I think some of the apprehension, you know, they went through a little, you know, through a little run of several races where their, you know, car was blowing up.
0: Yeah, last year. And, yeah,
1: yeah, that mentally does a lot for a driver's confidence so i I see that changing i see her improving on the starting line as that car continues with the kind of performance they've been doing and um and with the consistency that they now have so i i think that uh, she realizes that you know it's one of the things these drivers scrutinize so much and i know what it's like they just you know they assume all of that responsibility and sometimes too much but you know that's that's what really pushes these drivers to be so good. And again, you know, it's not the Indy 500; they're not going, you know, 200 times around a racetrack. But mentally, uh, it's a it's a tough it's a tough business.
0: And then one last point: before we move to top fuel, is is Bob Tasca, who has uh, not ever won this particular race, and I know it's the one he probably wants more than anything. Uh, you know, outside of maybe the U.S. Nationals or something, but uh, is it is it possible to be wanting an event win too much like you're a southern california guy so i'm guessing when you're racing a pomona you want a pomona more than anything because that was that's where you're from and and i know he wants this so bad so can you actually put yourself in a bad spot by just over wanting it
1: yeah i think so i think so um it seems like it would come a little easier because you're you're literally at home right, <laughs> right. um but I like his chances better than ever. You know, you've you've got to you've got to have the car to go with it. And while in the past few years he's had a good car that was capable of winning, um, it has never been quite as good as it is now. It's not really been quite as consistent. So if I had to pick uh, three favorites, he would he would be one of them to win. So now
0: let's move into the top fuel category, and I want to start with the two guys that, that really want to maintain everything they've been doing and, and not falter, which is Steve and Antron. And um, obviously it was a big storyline coming off of the Atlanta race. You know, they had this dramatic final round, and, and it was cool. And then we get, to the, uh, we get to the Charlotte race, and we don't necessarily see that Steve Antron story anymore. And then we get to Houston, and Antron loses in the second round. Is Antron still the threat to Steve?
1: I think so, but you know, he won the Atlanta race. Um, and while they looked like they were really going to, to challenge Steve, um, I'm not completely sold just yet. And, and here's why because that was a different racetrack than a Charlotte a Vegas, a Houston. Um, it wasn't quite as quick. So you really couldn't apply the power. Um, Steve, they, they kind of skipped a beat. Um, but Antron really looked good and they were one of the better performing cars when they won, but they really haven't been able to back it up. And while they're still going to be solid, I mean, they're, they're legitimately the, the team that's going to pro- provide the, the biggest challenge in terms of consistency. But, you know, you go down the list, Sean Langdon's third, and that's surprising. Um, but, you yeah. know, there again, that's encouraging because they're still there. They're hanging around. The competition's allowing them to hang around. And they're going to be dangerous when they get their combination together. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I expect that they should, because, because you look at Doug, his teammates car. Now, now Doug's in fifth and they've underachieved and they, you know, made some personnel changes. But, you know, the Coletta team has always had somewhat of a different business model. Brian, if you think about it, we've talked about this. You know, you look at DSR, he wants to hire the big name. It's like, it's like a quarterback. Give yeah. me the big name quarterback that has the credentials. Um, John Forrest Racing same thing uh, not the Coletta business model you know they they kind of they really don't have the higher profile no disrespect to a Rob Flynn but Connie himself I mean this is a guy that is very capable of tuning the car um, and, and at times I mean he has a reputation of being a little aggressive but whatever changes that they made earlier in the year I think it's already paid off that car runs good all they're lacking is a little bit of consistency. You can count on Doug to give you some on the starting line against most. And if he can't, you're not going to be able to take much from him. So uh, once they, once they get that car a little more consistent, once they they get Sean's car, you know, back on track, I think they're going to be dangerous and they're going to be right there with Antron Brown. So that's going to be a battle. But to me, the one car that, that if, if I, if you ask me on a Friday evening, who do you, what car do you want to get in? I would get in the car that David Grubnik tunes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe I wouldn't bat an eye at, uh, at, at the one that Alan Johnson's tuning, but he might be phoning in a tune up on that one. But I think Brittany force is, has the car that can compete with Steve. Uh, you know, it, it really falls on Brittany's shoulders, but if you look at how she has performed over the last couple of races, um, if she improves on the starting line and if she can continue to do what she's been doing, that to me would be the the one car that would uh, that should concern Steve.
0: Yeah, uh, I certainly agree with that. And uh, just to touch back on Doug Coletta, I mean, he made the final in Houston, but but let's be honest here, the car—I don't know if it made a, even a full pass in qualifying. It certainly did not make any full passes on race day. Uh, it, it, it never even went 300 miles an hour, so uh, making a final round appearance is obviously good. But I'm not sure Doug Coletta has ever had a a less satisfying final round appearance than the one he had in Houston because it, it just it it all went his way and they went fast enough, which is obviously the name of the game. But it wasn't they didn't leave Houston going, man, we have a car that can make finals. They left Houston scratching their heads going, how the hell did we even make this final?
1: Yeah, I mean all the Monday quarterbacks are saying, including myself, all you had to do was get down the track. Just get down the damn track and you you'll win the race. But they they don't want to do it like that. I yeah. mean, that's not the way these guys think. They they wanted they want to compete with Steve. You want to compete with them. You fully expect for him to run what he had run the previous round. You know, so who would have anticipated that Steve got the tires loose, you know, hurt the motor, ran a four flat, two sixty and um you know and and Doug, they couldn't get off the starting line, but um it's just that's just one of those that they let get away, but you know it seems like that's the short term the long term is is really what they're after. they want to be able to compete in terms of performance and and they don't have a long way to go no they' don't. they're all they're, they're really not even three or four hundredths of a second. I'd say two or three hundredths, and you know one of these top fuel cars when they find it, and it's not easy. Those last couple of of hundreds of a second are pretty hard to find on a consistent basis, but um, I think they're a better team than they were last year. So there was this
0: guy who was a a, a sports TV or a news sports guy in Boston uh, named Bob Lobel for years when I was a kid, and and every year he would watch the Red Sox, and we'd all watch the Red Sox, and their season would fall to pieces in September, and he'd roll out this big panic button, and he'd smash the panic button on air. So (laughs) I mention this because – when is it time for Leah's team to smash the panic button? Because three first-round losses in a row, tenth in points right now, with not that much breathing room to be knocked out of the top ten, something's got to give here pretty quick.
1: Well, I don't disagree with you, and if you think about what they have to deliver, the, the deliverables are performance. And hey, let's let's just um, let's just not ignore the you know, the elephant in the room working for Don Schumacher. Hey, the expectations are high yeah. as they should be. You have all the resources, you have everything. And Brian, and you and I've talked about this, you know, if, if you're, um, if you're a part-time racer, if, if you're, um, you know, if you have a business, if you're a businessman and you get in a car uh, on the weekend, even if it's a competitive car like Billy Torrance, I mean, to me, Billy Torrance has a lot on his mind. Oh and man. while I would, and while he does compete um, as a professional and with professionals, I'm going to give him a pass because, because he runs a business, a very successful business. But if you call yourself a professional and and I I don't know about you, but I'm going to hold you to a higher standard. I, I think the expectations should be more when you have on your resume, I'm a professional race car driver, because what comes with that is, you know, a lot of responsibility. So I mean, I guess to get to your point, it, it seems like that the Leah team is a little bit out of sync. You know, sometimes, and, and Leah knows this. I'm not saying anything that, right. Hey, I can't back up or that anybody else knows. Because I got news for every driver out there. It's not just you or I saying what we see. Right. The viewer can see the same thing. <laughs> right. And I got news for them. The sponsors are watching, too. If you don't think the sponsors are watching, I got news for you. I've been there. I've done that. And, and that's why I can speak to that. So I, I think the team has just been a little out of sync. The car qualified second in Houston. The performance is there. They need some consistency. And, hey, Leah is one of those drivers that she gets pretty intense. Um, but when they turn it around, I, when they turn it around, that is a team that can mix it up with the best of them. And, and uh, I see them doing that soon. Um and I'm sure that I'm sure that they'd love to do it on a consistent basis. But you have to you have to flash at one or two races, just like Antron. I mean, we weren't yeah. really he wasn't he wasn't the team that they were a couple of years ago when they were knocking down wins. And then we we'd see him flash. They they were smoking the tires. They were running good. He was beating guys on hole shots. And that was a sign that this guy's coming. He's coming for you. And and I think that's what this team needs. They just need a good weekend of racing. And I think once they get that their level of confidence is going to be a lot better. And, and, and the other guy is, is Justin Ashley, you know, and, and uh, that car really in terms of performance, like Leah's car, uh, they mean business, you know, and, and, and I think that I, you know, Mike Green, I know they made some personnel changes right there uh, within that team. And, and that car right there will, I think it can run with anyone and, you know, I think I think Justin's average. He's still going to be ranked in the top three. Oh yeah, he's, uh, he's
0: fifty the... right now. I mean, his average lights fifty, so he's he's leading the class right now.
1: Yeah, you know, and and hey, he's gotten beat on a whole shot. That's something that yep I didn't think we'd say, but I got to tell you that you look at the UFC, you look at sports in general, and and I think there was um, there was something that Michael Jordan said. You know, he's missed he's missed this many shots. He's missed you know, an unbelievable amount of game winning shots. And after all these would appear to be bad things, that's why he's so good. So if you're a driver, just like if you're, if you're one of the best in the UFC, you've been beat. And if you haven't, you're going to get beat. It's just the nature of the sport. The idea is to be good the majority of the time. And I think while Ashley or Justin is going through, you know, some of those hard knocks, Hey, that's it. That's that's the the price you pay for the life you choose because you have drivers like Steve Torrance, you have drivers like Josh Hart, like Sean Langdon, and we're gonna get you once in a while. Yeah, yeah. So, you're gonna so you're I, gonna
0: give it. You're gonna get it every now and again too. Yeah,
1: yeah You're gonna you're gonna get it with a couple of jabs here and there. They're not gonna feel good, and people are gonna see. But you know, in in the end, you just you're gonna be recognized as one of the best. And um, while there's still some things that I I think he's developing as a driver, um, I, I think I think they're going to turn it around. They're going to flash. I think Leah, uh they're always good for a couple wins in, in a year. Uh, we just haven't seen it yet, and I I think we can say the same for Justin Ashley.
0: Yeah, and I you know to me it's just when we look at the raw numbers, the concerning thing for me uh, uh, of the you know the Dodge uh, Mopar team and Pennzoil team for Leah's, is you know your average qualifying position is fourth and your average ET on Sundays is 6.2 seconds. So it's like you're qualifying very well. You have three first-round losses in a row against people – you should have beat. I mean, there's no other way to say it. If you're averaging a fourth, uh, you know, a fourth qualifying position, you're racing somebody that's that's pretty far down the list, and not necessarily a can of corn, but you're you're not racing somebody that's had a great effort <laughs> at that point of the weekend. So, uh, we'll see what happens in Epping, of course, um, a racetrack that could favor uh, Todd O'Carroll's style as well as obviously he can throw down pretty hard, and and we're going to have those conditions on Friday night and and on Sunday too. I mean, they're they're talking about a cloudy style day like Houston, except it's going to be a lot cooler and drier. So. Uh, all the pieces are in place to go fast. Tony, thank you for your uh, time today. It's cool to kind of walk through some of these scenarios and and talk about some racers who we should key in on this weekend to find out if they can – some people keep it up and other people put the train back on the tracks.
1: Well, Brian, I'm not a lobster eater, but I will eat me some crab, and I look forward to getting out of this rain and getting in some nice nice weather for a change.
0: It'll be good, man. I'll take you to a nice place in uh, in Portsmouth. We'll have a good dinner. (laughs) See you soon. Thanks,
1: Tony. See you next time. Bye. And that is
0: an in-depth look as to who's performing, who isn't, and some of the reasons we think why and what those people can do to potentially get their programs back on track. When we leave Epping, New Hampshire and get ready to go to Norwalk, Ohio, we're going to have a very clear picture of which teams are in the driver's seat in terms of their success to this point of the year and then what they're going to be able to translate that into as we head down the stretch and they build their case to go into the countdown in the best and most strong position possible. It is going to be interesting to see what ends up shaking out over the next three or four races regarding positions 7, 8, 9, and 10 in all these classes, especially when we get to Pro Stock. There's going to be a logjam of people fighting for those top 10 spots, and there will be certainly some drama happening in Top Fuel Nitro Funny Car, as well as Pro Stock Motorcycle, which will rejoin us at the Summit Racing Equipment Nationals in Norwalk, Ohio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Loans. Thanks, as always, to Tony Pedragon for coming on, giving his honest, truthful, and unvarnished opinion as to what's going on in the world of NHRA Camping World Drag Racing. Looking forward to seeing everybody at my home track this weekend, New England Dragway in Epping, New Hampshire. It is always one of the most fun and just absolutely fantastic weekends of the year for me professionally and personally. I hope you come up and enjoy the racing action and the perfect weather that is on tap for Southern New Hampshire. If you can't make it to the racetrack, you can tune in to watch qualifying action on FS1 Sunday morning and then at 1.30 p.m. You're going to tune into your local Fox affiliate, same channel you watch the NFL on, the same channel you watch the Simpsons or Family Guy on, and you're going to watch NHRA Drag Racing live on Fox Broadcast Network. It is a big weekend for us, a big audience to tune into, and we'll find out who can claim Epping victory at thetaskaparts.com NHRA New England Nationals presented by Bandero Premium Tequila. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast.